Hi everyone, uh, welcome to Better Homes and Dungeons. Um, today I'm speaking with a, um, a fellow Australian um, artist and someone who is doing really, really cool things in the community um, and has a whole bunch of more new cool things that they're going to be doing too. Um, my friend, who are you? What, what is it you're doing? Uh, okay, well I am Sean Sunday. Uh, everyone will probably know me on Twitter uh, by Sean Sunday Art. Um, so many things. Uh, obviously, as you know, I am doing some work in the, well, prepping to do some work in the community at the moment, uh, in regards to neurodiversity and accessibility and, um, ableism, addressing what it is, because, like, a lot of people don't realize what neurodiversity is or what ableism is, and that you can be kind of ableist without being a bad person. Like, lots of really good people can accidentally have ableist behaviours. And um, I'm working on having that conversation with positive ways to improve those things at the gaming table to make it easier for people like me and other neurodiverse folks to uh, get involved with the community and the games. Can you give me a working definition of ableism? Okay, so... Um, I'm no expert, obviously. I am just a neurodiverse person who has done as much research on my own condition as I can. Um, but ableism is basically sets of behaviors and thinking and um, even it can be a bit systemic uh, that are negatively geared towards people with disabilities, whether those disabilities are visible or not. Unfortunately, that's where it gets a bit murky and people that don't think they're ableist can be ableist because people assume that everyone is what they call neurotypical. If they're neurotypical, they have a sort of a, a subconscious assumption that everyone is like that. But not everyone is. So what works for the majority of people and the neurotypical folks doesn't necessarily work for people with ADHD, people with autism, dyslexia, and, and things like that. So it's um, pretty much any sets of behaviors that uh, assume that non-neurodiverse is the default and negatively affect people that are neurodiverse. Would it be much of a stretch saying in some ways, like an eight-hour workday is kind oh, of yes. like, yeah, like it's institutionally yeah. ableist because it's like, look, if mm -hmm. you can't maintain this, but it's like, but you can be just as productive just on a different timetable to say me. Mm -hmm. It's like, well... You're just as valid, dude. Yeah, exactly. And it's like um, a lot of neurodiverse people would prefer to work from home because then they can remove factors like uh, bright artificial lighting, um, noise and interruptions from co-workers, social anxiety, uh, mm. things like that. They're all things that co can cause sensory processing issues in neurodiverse people. Um, and when a company, as a lot of companies... It, uh, at the moment are finding out are actually capable of creating a work from home situation but don't and won't that can be another example of ableism in the workplace because you yeah. might actually get better results out of that staff member by letting them work from home yeah no i mean that makes sense you know like in in this day and age i think right now they're discovering wait a sec if we don't need to drag all of you into the office and you're just as productive maybe even more so if you know your commute is a five meter walk from the kitchen to the office then wait a sec people we've hit gold mm -hmm. that's exactly it um even things like um a lot of people in the gaming uh circles have a, a mindset of no phones at the table that in itself uh, can actually be ableist because ADHD people we need something secondary to what we're doing in order to actually focus on what we're doing because um, contrary to what a lot of people think ADHD is actually an under stimulated brain we're so distractible and hyper because our brains are searching for more input more stimulation all the time so uh, trying to sit still and just focus on one thing, uh, I could be sitting in there staring at someone straight in the face 
and I'll have forgotten what they've said by the end of their sentence. I'll be trying really hard to pay attention and focus up and listen, but my brain is a million other places because it needs that extra stimulation. But if I'm sitting there and I've got uh, a little mindless game on my phone or a sketchbook sitting next to me that I can doodle in while I'm looking at you and having a conversation, I will be, bam, on board and able to actually focus and get involved and I won't be distracted by everything else that's going on around me because I'll be using that excess energy uh, off to the side. And uh, autistic people need to um, do a thing called stimming. When they're feeling overwhelmed, they've got a lot of sensory input because autism is overstimulation of the brain. Is as a very simple way of explaining it. There's a lot more to it than that, but um, as as opposed to ADHD, autism is usually overstimulation, and so that's why a lot of autistic people have light sensitivity, noise sensitivity, and things like that. So they need to um, stim. You know, they'll they'll tap. They'll wave their hands or they might be also playing a game on their phone as a form of uh, visual stimming to help them regulate their sensory input Um, because otherwise that can cause uh, a meltdown it can cause a a complete processor shutdown essentially that one i can really understand um you know i work for a reasonably large-sized australian company um in my day job because this doesn't pay the bills um, and I am always easily the first to leave the Christmas party because it's too many people, it's too much conversation around me, and I know when my brain gets full trying to listen to everything, and I just hit mm-hmm. the point where I'm like, no, I'm I'm done with this because I know yep. if I stay any longer, I know what's going to happen to my brain, and I can see it happening, and it's like, nope, nope, yep, Josh go exactly and uh, unfortunately for a lot of neurodiverse people especially those with adhd and autism those are really the main areas that i can speak to because my partner has autism and adhd and i have adhd so you know we've done research on how these things affect us personally um there's some things that happen with our executive function and stuff like that that mean we don't always know and recognize when we've hit that threshold Hmm. And that's when things can get messy. If we don't know we've hit that threshold and we're sort of starting to feel a bit antsy, might start feeling a bit sick in the stomach, and we're getting more anxious and more anxious and we don't realize until we end up snipping at someone or someone starts crying and then we've entered uh, potential or already in meltdown territory because we don't realize what's happening to the brain sometimes. Hmm. Um, You can learn to start seeing the signals and there are ways to to cope around that, like the stimming and keeping your drawing so you're not getting distracted and too anxious with the ADHD for me. Um, But it's something that you have to often, you know, speak to your doctor about, you know, see a therapist with some specialization in your particular neurodiversity Um, do some research there are a lot of really cool resources out there and figure out what helps you cope with that and what your trigger signals are like when you're starting to get close to the full tank Hmm. Uh, makes sense um i know there's also a lot of um people who advocate certain dietary or lifestyle um yeah yep there can be a lot of like there are a lot of the things that certain doctors in uh, certain parental groups and stuff will recommend for dietary stuff for ADHD specifically as well. Um, I'm not too aware of what they try to do with autism, but I I know of quite a few with ADHD that are actually real bad. They have the complete opposite effect to what they're supposed to. Um, I came across one a couple of years ago that was like white foods only. So potatoes, peeled pears, white bread, pasta with not too much sauce and extra input and stuff like that. Do you know what all that stuff is? It's a lot of carbs. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Lots I mean, and lots and lots of carbs, which hyped you up. Well, the other problem which means, would be that if someone... Like, I know that ADHD and um, autism have a lot of connections to both celiac disease and gluten intolerance and a lot of other food things. Josh mm-hmm. is revealing what he does for a living and where he might work. <laughs> um, yep, my partner actually has a nightshade allergy. Yeah, so no tomatoes. Yeah, but and tomatoes, only a tiny bit of potatoes. Uh, no capsicum, no chili, no paprika, no goji berries, oh, no man. eggplant. Eggplant no was actually how we discovered it. Uh, actually, yeah, if anyone's listening, if you eat tomatoes or eggplant and it's spicy, you're allergic to nightshades. There you go. But yeah, I, mean, I know there's some dietary stuff that can make a difference where actually like reducing the amount of um, gluten-containing foods and definitely getting rid of things like refined sugars like not not to recommend going full keto like i don't or no keto, no i don't think that's a good um, well as a, as a former pt um my personal preference is just as much fresh stuff as you can eat that's good that's, that's good that works for me um it helps my partner we we have as much fresh stuff as we can eat we still have you know treats and goodies but we try not to go overboard um i probably drink more coffee than i should but i really love coffee it's tasty. I'm limited to one a day i'm i'm trying to have big one what yeah i have a big one in the morning and i'm trying to if i have another one at the moment it's only like a small one in the afternoons if i've got more work to do i've okay when i was studying um and working full-time studying full-time and not sleeping i was on five to six double shots a day Yep. No, no. And I, I feel brought you. that down to like using some stuff from where I work. Um, I got that down to like two regular coffees in about three weeks. And now I've, I'm just like, you know what? I'll, I'll make a plunger, but I'll drink maybe one decent cup. And then throughout yep. the day, like I'll have one black tea and then it's rubos from the day from like then on. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's, that's what I've been doing this week, actually. I've taken to having my nice yeah. big filter coffee in the morning. And a black tea in the afternoon. Yeah, it's a good plan. But like, I can drink a coffee at 7 o'clock at night, and I'll be out like a light by 10.30. I can't do that. I know that I that's can't. That's just... That's the ADHD brain, man. Not everyone, but a lot of us. Coffee is a self-medication. I can understand why. Because caffeine, caffeine provides that stimulation. Um, so a lot of ADHD people drink loads of coffee, and it actually helps us to focus up. Not in the way that most people think it does, mm. but it does. Mm. Um, that's by no means an advocation to go and drink way too much coffee. It yeah, is just a common thing that. that a lot of ADHD people do when they're undiagnosed and they don't realize that they have ADHD. In my case, I was just someone who was sleeping three hours a night and just needed to keep mm. it going. So. Mm-hmm. No, I don't, I don't miss those days. No, that's, it, it was bad. Um, yeah, full-time it... uni and hospitality work. Oof. Yeah, that'd be tough. Um, now we have some pretty cool questions, and you—you said, I mean, you've—you know, full disclosure, you know these two peoples. Um, yes. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. We'll start with the one that I think is kind of interesting. Yeah. Um, well, I think they're both interesting. I've just started a fight with someone without meaning to. Well done, Josh. <laughs> um, now, five. This is from um, Litovsky. Um. Fivey has done a lot of simplifying the bloat of previous systems. What can still be done and what has to be done to make them more inclusive for neurodiverse people? Um, we will do the follow-up question later if yep. we have time. Um, yeah, that, okay, that's a good question. This is something I have given a bit of thought to. Um, there could be a lot of things that could be pared down, to be honest. Um a big thing is that I love 5e. Um, it's the only D&D that I've learned, but I've tried other RPGs. I've played the older ga- computer games based off the 5e rule, uh, the, the previous edition rules and stuff. <laughs> they were um, bad. But one of the things is the language in the books. Now, like, I, I design, full disclosure for anyone else that's uh, reading, I design games. I don't design RPGs. I design accessories and content for D&D. 
but I don't design RPGs, so I can't speak fully to the mechanics. But I can speak to the way things are written and laid out. So a big thing is the wording and the language used in the books. It's, you know, in a simplified way to say it, it's too damn wordy. I would agree. There's a, there's there's a like... lot of language yeah. that could use simplification for neurodiverse people. And not because we're less intelligent and we can't, we don't have reading comprehension or anything like that. But with executive dysfunction, the more of a slog something is to do, to process, uh, and also with like um, data retention and things like that, like I was speaking to you before about the uh, object permanence thing, Mm. an ADHD person compared to a neurotypical person, might have to read a page 10 times as much to retain the information. And that's not to say that we're going to retain that information for more than a couple of days. Mm. That's fair. Um, or if we do, it, we won't. There's this, uh, a lot of things, the thing a lot of us call, it's like a locked door or this, the memory safe sort of thing is a, is a way that a lot of people refer to it, is that when we're asked to recall a very specific piece of information. We know we know it. We've learned it. We remember that we've learned it. But it's behind a door and we can't remember the combination to the lock. And then... Very frustrating. Oh, yeah, it is. You'll be sitting there and you're like... It's the... Sometimes it's just a single word. And it's gone. Yeah, you may even see that with me across the course of the conversation. I might, I might just forget a word and I'll have to make up a phrase to try to remember the word. Um, and then 10 minutes later after we don't need it anymore, or like a week later, it'll click back into our brains and we'll be like, that's the thing! And we no longer need it, but there it is again. So um, the more simplified language can be, in these books to get across the same message. The rules don't need to be any simpler necessarily. There are like obviously a lot of things that could still be trimmed down with 5e Mm. and it would still be the same game as far as rules and mechanics goes. There's a lot of stuff that could be streamlined, but it doesn't have to be. It could be, but it doesn't have to be for the point of this. Um, If they could just simplify the language and release a streamlined edition of the of the same stuff with more simplified language and ways of expressing uh, a mechanic that would make it way more accessible for a lot of us um, I, I I almost started a fight with a friend of mine um, crystal from board game blitz um, we used to play D&D together she's in my first campaign that I ran and offhand I made the comment to her I believe that any board game that can't explain its rules on one double-sided piece of A3 paper, go back, have a really good think about your system because it's bloaty. And she took it as friends, as friends. She said, Josh, I don't know about that in such a way that's like, Josh, you might be picking a fight that you're going to lose. No, I can I can kind of agree with that. Like, if the core mechanics of D and D, the just the core stuff, not mm. all the individual character class and racial path and stuff like that. This is uh, actually something I've noticed a lot of people when you're trying to explain these sorts of things from a neurodiversity and simplification perspective, is when you say something like that, people think you mean every single piece of content that is necessary for the game. But, like, there's so much cool stuff in terms of class, individual class features, subtypes, lore, and all that sort of stuff. That's not essential to the core mechanics of the game. But the basic core mechanics of the game, what comes in, like, that free 5e SRD version of the rules, if that could be simplified to fit on two A3 pieces of paper, you would get so many more neurodiverse people that would pick up that game in an instant. And I honestly believe it could be doable. Just the core, the core mechanics. Have all the player stuff, like the class stuff, have all the racial backgrounds and 
all the cultural, you know, the acolyte and hermit and all that sort of mm-hmm. stuff, all those extra special fancy options. Have those separate if you want. But if the core mechanics on how the game actually works, what you can do on your turn and how it works, um, how grappling and conditions works, and all of that sort of stuff could be condensed onto that two A three pages, like you said. Oh man, that would be a game changer. Would you say it would be really useful if, say, some wonderful person put a lot of these rules down on a screen type device <laughs> that they could have in front of them? And be that is easily... a very, very smooth segue. And actually, that was something I was about to bring up: is simplification of the language was something that I took into account when I was designing the 5e player screen. Hmm. Um, there's a lot of stuff where it said, you know, the character does this and the creature does that. And wherever it was possible, I tried to simplify that to, if you do this, they do that. Because sometimes it's going to be another player, not another creature. And this, that, and the other. And just that wrapping your head around creature versus if I do this, this happens. You know, it's it's a very small difference. But to a brain that needs to be able to remember that stuff on the fly because we can't necessarily retain that information all the time, hmm. that means, you know, I've got these, this thing organized into three panels. One is on your turn. You can do these things. Don't forget you might have dark vision and don't forget this and a little diagram of what the different dice are down the bottom because um, that's a thing with like dyslexia and stuff like that. And again, object permanence. You might remember what the seven different type of dice are, but for some reason your brain's going to lock, lock away what shape that dice is. So someone could say, grab the D8 and you'll look at them and go, oh crap, which one is that? So we uh, put, my, my partner Robin actually had the idea of putting a diagram of uh-huh. just a simple black black line art of the dice on that first panel. A diagram? So yes, exactly. I appreciate exactly. that. I, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm here for that. That's great. Yeah. So if someone says, grab your D10, you can just look at it and go, okay, that's the round diamond shaped one. Yep. Got it. And you got that visual thing instead of having to remember separate pieces of information. Um, and then in the middle, I have um, things like the experience points and when you can level up, um, coin conversions for when you're doing your shopping and stuff like that. Because I know a lot of people like me, we take our time doing the math sometimes, or sometimes you get that anxiety because you're worried about holding up the table and suddenly your ability to math is gone. Whereas if someone says, you have this many gold and you've just spent two of them or you're down 20 silver now, you can go, okay, so one gold, I've got 20 silver taken out of that. One gold means this many silver. So, okay, I've got 80 silver left and write that on your character sheet. Um, I've got the thing with like the death saves and the death failures and three little boxes. So you can just tick them off or put a sticker on it so that you remember where you're at. And just all that sort of stuff simplified as much as possible. And then on the third page is all the conditions and how they work. Simplified as much as I could and organized in alphabetical order. Which is not how they're organized on the DM screen. As an ADHD who is almost permanently the DM. Hmm. That's a pain in the butt when I have to go, you are this. And a player goes, what's that? And I have to hop around trying to find it on my DM screen, dodging all the really lovely artwork, but unnecessary to me trying to find this information. And uh, it gets kind of stressful. So this is why I designed this, because I have players with anxiety in my group. My partner has autism and ADHD, and I have ADHD. It was easier for me as the DM and for everyone else involved to try this, because we tried all the free cheat sheets that are out there Hmm. but unfortunately again that executive dysfunction and object permanence thing as soon as you put that down on the table someone's going to tell you it's there or you won't use it 
because it's gone. It's like it never existed. I printed them all out, got them all cut out and made beautifully, gave them to all my players. None of us used them. But as soon as I just did a quick knockup of this and made it vertical, so that it was within your eyesight, hmm. everyone was using them. And the game started getting a lot quicker. And everyone was laughing more and a lot less stressed because they could just go, oh, there's that thing. And that was when I decided to take it public. They're like, well, if this helps my friends, I can imagine how many other people like me it's going to be good for. That's very cool. And I actually have plans to do a DM screen version of it as well now. That will be cool. Yeah, one, especially because I need it. <laughs> It'll be like, you know, like three A3 sheets, though, potentially. Because <laughs> let's be honest, I'm... like, the, the DM's guide is not... Like, okay, I'm going to commit an act of heresy. <sighs> All right. Are we ready for it? Okay, yep. Yeah. Probably about two-thirds of the DM's guide is unnecessary. Uh, no, I agree. I haven't read the whole thing cover to cover properly yet. Don't. But it's not all necessary. But there are a lot of fun little things that you can cherry-pick out of it. Yeah. And that's what I plan to do for my DM screen. I actually realized during that um, live stream with Aram and uh, Gabe and everyone that there was information on my player screen that's not on the DM screen that I needed as a DM. Yeah. Not I everyone think, needs that information. Why, I think also, like, this kind of also gets into that territory of, like, how do you run a table? Like, um, I'm very lucky. Like, one of the table, two of the tables I'm at, one that I run, one that I play at, um, almost all of us are DMs. So mm -hmm. if there's ever a rule thing that I or, you know, the guy who runs the other table doesn't know, we just say, hey, does anyone know this? And immediately everyone's like, all right. Yep. And it is not unusual for my phone to be blowing up at like 1 a.m. because there is a discussion around the interpretation of rules going on. And I'm like, oh, shut up, nerds. I'm trying to sleep. <laughs> yeah. Unfortunately for... for I love it. Yeah. Unfortunately for our group, we all learned to play at the same time. We picked up the starter kit, and that was our uh, initiation. So we all knew as much as each other. That would be interesting. Actually, it's interesting you mention Aram, because it was listening to God's Fall and um, how we roll. That got me back into D&D. &D. And like, it also kind of like taught me how to play 5e. And it's like, mm. oh, this is really different to second edition wow yeah and <laughs> and i'll tell you if you ever get the opportunity to roll dice with aram go for it i'd love to he one day. was a a goblin monk in the one shot that i played named toes i've heard because he had too many voice. toes yeah 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 he did his goblin voice as this goblin monk called toes and it had me in stitches the whole time. And that between him and Gabe James Games, who, if you have seen any of his videos, is very animated and has really great voices and reaction expressions, I'm still trying to go back through the, the botched recording and see if there are any moving parts of the footage that I can actually use to GIF of Gabe and Aram because I couldn't keep a straight face with those two on the other side of the screen. And then they're just good, beautiful people. So, you know, yeah. they'd be great. Yeah, they're so entertaining. Uh, everyone at that table was. Um, I had Matt Brown from Split oh, Party. Case. Yeah, yeah. Um, he was playing his Kobold Ranger. And I don't know if you've seen any of his tweets recently about the fact that his Kobold Ranger currently has a... Um, I think it was a rock mount called Charlacrane. Called That's what? my fault. Charlacrane. Oh, like Charlemagne? Because it's like a... Yeah. Yeah, and that's my fault because I accidentally killed Charlemagne, his giant wolf spider. Yeah. Had it coming. Yeah, it, it got eaten by a gelatinous cube. 
I'm I'm surprised he doesn't call it shallow secondary because you know. <laughs> yeah, well, they, they were they were all chatting about it, and he was doing a Matt Berry impression for the voice. So here's a, a kobold ranger riding a giant spider that sounded like Matt Berry. Okay, people who don't know who Matt Berry is, just go type in, like, YouTube Matt Berry IT crowd. He'll have He's also time. in What We Do in the Shadows right now. He is too. Yeah, I just went with the first, like, my first exposure to Matt Berry. Was he in yeah. Garth Marenghi's Dark Place? can't remember i'm not going to look that up right now um because we have another question that i like the look of um now this one is from max uh batistella um Ooh, actually sorry the one oh, last yes, point sorry. before we get oh, on yeah, to yeah, max's yeah, please, please, please. is another thing that uh wizards could do to make 5e more accessible that i think would be super easy for them to do and appreciated by so many people in the community is to release a specific version of the free rules and even just like a digital reprint of all of the current source books with one of the publicly available dyslexia specific friendly fonts yeah because that would make the reading comprehension for dyslexic folks way easier because a lot of the way that the books and stuff are laid out right now they look fantastic they look absolutely top rate but they can be hard to read for folks with dyslexia or even for me sometimes i get distracted by all the pretty pictures because my brain is like oh what's this what's that what's this what's that what's that and i'm like i'm trying to read so um even and this is going to sound like heresy to a lot of graphic designers but this is actually another one of those forms of minor ableism is a lot there are a lot of designers out there who are neurodiverse and dis and or are designing for neurodiverse people who use Comic Sans for their font. And that is because out of the uh, ready-made, on-your-device, universally available on all devices fonts, Comic Sans is the most dyslexia-friendly. I didn't know Because not, not having the serifs and stuff, and the kerning and things like that, makes it really easy to read for dyslexic people. There are fonts out there that are slightly better, again, that are made specifically to cater to dyslexia. Mm. But if you can't afford to buy the rights to use one of those in your project, having a secondary version available in Comic Sans will go a long way to making your product more accessible. That that does strike me as something that can even be done on a web page. Exactly. That's what I mean. Here's an option. Click. Oh, there you go, mate. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I actually have spoken to D&D Beyond about that. Um, I, I, you know, when we were talking about them helping me out with the upcoming show and they, you know, gave me this, unlocked some of the content, I suggested that they do that, um, that they talk to the people who created the dyslexia character sheets mm. and try, uh, license like a digital version of that for D and D beyond. So you can click standard or dyslexia friendly, um, which one would change the font, but also, um, one of the coolest things about those um, I will link them to you after we finish talking so you can check them out, hmm. is that they've taken all of the individual sections and instead of just being boxes and stuff, they're symbols. So your health is a heart. That's really cool. Your magic yeah. is a potion. Um, your spell attack is a fireball. You know? And they've all got a color as well. So you can go, oh, red heart is how much health I have currently. Um, The green box on the left is my dexterity score. And so you can remember where things are on the sheet via the symbols and the colors. Instead of having to try to read it all at once, you can just zero in on that and then just read the number that's in that box that is in a dyslexia-friendly font which is actually also really great for ADHD and autism. That'd be great. That's, and that's yeah. a relatively easy fix. Yeah, you and know. they said that you they'll just go into um, talk to their control, dev team about yeah. it. Yeah, I mean, just go into your draft, control A, change font. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> and they could do that They could do that as a PDF. Um, 
and sell them digitally for all of the current 5e source books you know they wouldn't even necessarily have to get rid of all the background art and stuff if they just maybe made the parchment color a little bit paler so it didn't stand out so much and hit it with comic sans if they can't find another font but hit it with one of the dyslexia friendly fonts i guarantee you they would make a lot of sales on that for neurodiverse players sounds a pretty marketable idea yeah and that's one of the things we're going to be talking about when we do that live stream and stuff like that so that designers when they're watching can take that sort of stuff into account very cool now i'm moving on to max's question yes Um, as an artist have you seen unique ways people have used your art in a way that was unintentional but very effective honestly not really because a lot of the art that i have publicly available is only released in a very specific purpose-built format so it's like it's locked into like this is a poster or this is a comic or here are some paper miniatures Uh, here is the player screen so they're a very physical thing set up in a specific shape and format that isn't that easy to mod you know one so, second, please. Um, my wife is asking you. Oh, good. So, sorry, my Sorry. That'll have to be cut out. Um, <laughs> so good. These things happen. That's why we don't do them live. And also, I don't think anyone needs to hear about my laundry hamper. <laughs> um, Which I think is pretty fair. Yeah, so the, yeah, that's pretty much it for that question, to be honest. I can't think of any weird and wonderful ways that were unexpected that people have used my work yet because uh, unfortunately due to getting sidetracked by cosplay for like seven years and only in the last few years starting to redevelop my portfolio into my original life goals um my work isn't that extensive yet there's a lot of stuff coming in the near future but there's not heaps out there that's right now, you, you've mentioned a couple of times, and you've discussed on Twitter as well, you're going to be bringing out a, um, a stream of specifically neurodiverse people to ensure representation of the community in the 5e, you know, ecosphere, would we call it? Yeah. Um, yep. Yeah, please. Um, how's that? Are you, are you going to be running a homebrew, or are you going to be running a campaign? Uh, we're going to be running Rhyme of the Frostmaiden. Oh, cool. I got really excited about that because, one, I love... Look, I see so many people complaining about how much Forgotten Realms content there is, but I'm not going to lie. Just give it to me, and I will shove it all in my face. I grew up on Forgotten Realms, you know, playing Baldur's Gate, Icewind Dale, Neverwinter Nights, reading the R.A. Salvatore books. Like, I was into D&D before I knew what D&D was, because I was reading all that stuff and and playing all those games that I actually didn't realize they had anything to do with D&D. That's cool. Because I was just a, a hyperactive teenager that loved reading and absorbing all that context and loved fantasy. So I was just like, yeah, gimme. Um, so I love how much D&D content is Forgotten Realms myself because I get to play all my f- in the, all the places I grew up reading about. And that, I'd say that's legit, you know? Like, I... Yeah, as as we were chatting before, like I I run a campaign that's Curse of Strahd, but it's a Western because I wanted yeah because someone mentioned it on Twitter and I thought oh this would be a fun idea, and my brain ran away with it and before I knew what had happened I had twelve pages of notes. It's like right, yep okay Josh you got to do something with this so it wasn't a waste of your time, and I'm um, I'm running Kobold's Margrave, um, which is great and I'll recommend Kobold stuff to almost everyone because it's like. Good. Yeah, I'm going I'm um, to check some of it out because I've seen some stuff of theirs that was really interesting. There is one on the Humble Bundle. I think it's like 20-something Australian dollars and you can get the Margrave. Mm, interesting. I'll have a look. They're also doing some oh. free stuff. Um, they've got Sanctuary of Belches available for free if you sign up for their newsletter. Oh, cool. I might Sanctuary of Belches is pretty good. Because uh, that sort of like indie D&D content is stuff that I want to cover in future reviews and things like that as well. 
Um, I've actually got a bunch of Underground Oracle content printed out sitting on the shelf behind me that is going to be a target of one of my groups. Oh, man, they are so good. They're really great people. Um, Jess and Keith, again, both neurodiverse people, both ADHD. So um, just like me, they're constantly creating. And so their Patreon is a damn powerhouse of cool original content. Um, they created a really cool satyr race a little while ago, uh, before Theros came out, um, and it's actually really, really neat. And they created a special barbarian path for the satyrs called the the Path of Hoof and Horn. Okay, so it was pre-approved. Um, no, well, no, it's just they're, like their their third Sorry, party stuff a, that they create. There's a terrible word play there that like oh, okay. I missed it. Okay, there is a medical condition called priapism. Uh, don't mm-hmm. Google it. Don't, don't, just everyone. Don't. And it's based on a, um, a satyr called Priapus, um, who was known for his eagerness for a good time. Oh, dear. Yep. Yes. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I, I made that gag, and there's like, there's, there's one ancient Greek mythology nerd at home going... Oh, it was pretty well, good. That's that's funny you should mention that because by age ten, I think I'd read it a stack this big of Greek mythology books. For, for but can I remember it? See, Sean just held his hands about a meet about a meter apart. Yeah, yeah. It was like yeah. I would devour mythology books in primary school. Yeah, they, they I, don't put Priapus in any of those books because you know. Oh no! Look, I I probably read some stuff I shouldn't have read. Oh, definitely, I've read because I went to I went to the library and got like the fat books. Yeah, not just the ones with the pretty pictures. And I was devouring all this stuff because it was just so fascinating. But can I remember any of it? Not much. I read. I've read almost every mythology I can think of. You know, I was reading. All the, the Greek stuff, Egyptian stuff. I skipped most of the Roman stuff because it was just uh, d- DLC for the Greek mythology, really. Pretty much. <laughs> it was just the reskinned. Um, the, the indigenous Australians. Um, just to briefly interject. Yeah, yeah. Uh, this is according to Colleen McCulloch's um, Masters of Rome series. Like the way they'd speak to their gods, like Jupiter, that's a Jupiter Optimus Maximus, or whichever name you like. I beseech you as the great lord or lady, that's cool. And it was like they would have legal agreements with their gods. Mm. And it was just like the most like, okay, I'd like you or anyone listening to do this. And if you do, I'll give you a sacrifice if that's okay. Um, but it's like, okay, it, it, it's just a very different way of thinking about the gods. Whereas yeah. you know, the Romans thought about the gods in the form of like them being like otherworldly and not us, whereas the Greeks thought of them as us, but powerful. Yeah, essentially, yeah. Hence, Zeus is a terrible, terrible person. Yeah. Yeah, he bad. <laughs> he very bad. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, no, I can't remember any of it, really. I would love to sit down with a bunch of those books again and reread it. I, I'd like to as well. There's some interesting stuff that gets referenced in um, Neil Stevenson's Cryptonomicon from, I think it's Sumerian? Um, like, the the tales of Enki and how people came around. And it's like, mm. yeah, you, you wouldn't get away with teaching that in high school. Or well, not in primary <laughs> school, mate. Oof. Okay. Um, yeah. Now, Sean, we, we do always have one final question that we ask. Yep. Um, so, Sean, how do you... What would you, what do, what's your self-care look like? Okay, so um, it can be really difficult sometimes to remember to do self-care uh, as a neurodiverse person. Again, because it comes into that whole thing I told you about before where sometimes you don't realize you need it. Hmm. So you kind of have to try to get into a routine. And this is where it becomes a bit of an oxymoron for ADHD especially. ADHD struggles with routine because we can't remember things and we have executive dysfunction, etc., etc. But you know what really, really, really helps with those problems? Routine. Hmm. 
then it's like, yeah, yep. So it's always really great to have a support network if you can establish one. Because whether that's a friend, a partner, family, just someone who can give you a nudge every so often to make sure that you're keeping up with the thing that you're going to keep up with. You know, that's nobody else's burden. But if someone is willing to be like message you once a week to go, hey, have you done the washing that you said you were going to do this week? Have you gone for a walk? Have you had enough water today? Any, any of those things. That is a big thing, like having a support network because uh, external motivation or just external reminders is actually a really big thing. So uh, a lot of people do post-it notes and stuff and slap them up around the house in places where they know they're going to see them. Hmm. It gets messy, but it works. Uh, I set tons of reminders on my phone and then sometimes snooze them. But uh, a big thing I've been doing recently for my self-care is getting out for just a walk and taking the camera and uh, practicing my nature photography. And um, I stop and I'm more present and aware. Um, I'm more mindful when I'm doing that because I'm looking around and noticing things that I and anyone really would normally take for granted. And stopping to focus on those things and um, trying to find a way to present that beautifully really centers you. It centers me anyway. And when I'm actually doing that more regularly, everything else gets a bit easier. Because I'm, I'm more aware of housework that needs to be done. Because I'm more centered and present. Um, I'm more in tune with my own feelings. So I can remember, oh, oh, actually I'm feeling a bit tight in the head. That means I need to go drink some water. Or, oh, I'm actually really hungry. That's why I'm feeling ornery right now. Uh, so that's a that's a big one for me. Keeping a big old bottle of water in clear view at all times. It's also helps that, me I to... guess, object permanence um, thing yeah. you mentioned before. Exactly. So staying hydrated and being conscious of staying hydrated is self-care. But in order to make sure you do that, I've got my bottle six inches to my left right now. And it's a big, shiny, silver metal bottle. I can't miss it. So if I look around and it's not in the room, I know I've got to go and find it. And just like things like that are the steps that I tend to take. Um, obviously right now the world is chaos, so a lot of the self-care sort of things that I would normally do, I can't really do. You know, like getting out of the house and going and getting a coffee once a week. Not really as much of an option right now. I know technically a lot of the cafes are open, but I'm not about to go and sit in one. Because especially not only just to be careful with everything, but also just the situation is uh, anxiety inducing. So you know, there's the normal amount of social anxiety that comes with being neurodiverse, plus that external anxiety about getting sick. So I'm just, my self-care right now is staying home as much as possible and going for a walk a couple times a week. So, you know, you gotta, you got to take stock of those things as well. When a situation changes, we're all in an unprecedented situation right now. Um, you know, it's been almost like a hundred years since we've experienced anything like this. And also, not only that is, the world is different now than it was then. So it's unheard of on many other levels. So if you're having a hard time right now, that's okay. That's okay. No one knows what the right thing is to do right now, but the right thing to do is to stay as safe as possible. So rethink what you would normally do for self-care and think about what's going to work best for you in the current situation. You know, so instead of going up the shops for a coffee, my partner and I will make a cup of tea and go sit down on the back deck. You know, or there's even actually, there's a bench. You know, you, you probably know the area up here a bit well. We're in Carindale. We're right near Westfield on the creek. 
Yeah, there's a, a little bridge about 400 meters down from the shopping center that runs over Belimba Creek. Mm-hmm. Our backyard is 30 meters away from the creek. Lovely. And right on the edge of the creek, there's a little bench. So we'll take a cup of coffee and we'll go sit there and we'll watch the cormorants and watch the to- the turtles when we can actually remember to do so. But when we do, oh man, it makes the day a lot better. That so, sounds bloody good. Yeah. If you're having a hard time, think about doing something like that. Going and just sitting on a bench in the fresh air with a cup of tea and that might just make your day a lot easier. Yeah. It sounds like it would. Cool. And uh, obviously, as you've probably noticed over the course of the conversation, one thing with my particular brand of ADHD is I tend to ramble. What is life but a series of tangents? Ex- well, yeah. Oh, boy. <laughs> even, even even waffles have divots. So, you know, it's just... Yep. There you go. Cool. Um, unfortunately, I'm going to have to call it there. Uh, That's okay. This is something I really need to do, or I'm going to have to do some... Something I don't want to do. Um, <laughs> Sean, where would you like people to find you? Um, people can find me on pretty much all social media under Sean Sunday Art. Um, the usernames are all slightly different in how they're underscored and stuff, but just look for Sean Sunday Art on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter. You will find me. Uh, my work is available on DriveThruRPG and Gumroad under the same. Uh, and uh, also you can find me on Kofi if you want to pick up some of my digital content it's on there uh, if you want to sling me a few dollars because you like what you see that's also an option uh, those are the best places to find me and if you look on my Twitter you might just be lucky and find an invite to my Discord server where you get to see all the secret behind the scenes stuff sounds good excellent well um, yeah everyone as I said I'm going to leave it there uh, I've got a thing I've really got to go quickly do, um, but no uh, you can um, check out my stuff. I am Nerdy People D and D because um, I couldn't afford the ampersand, and I don't think they let you have them anyways. Um, and yeah, I do two actual plays. I do you know the Curse of Strahd, and I do the Marguerite thing, and I do this. Um, please check out all that stuff because it's been some some really good stuff there. Yeah, go do it. Do it now. Well, I mean, not now. I mean, if you're busy, you know, I understand. Well, I mean, yeah, no, as soon as you can. As now as you can. Awesome. Sean, thank you very much for your time. Thanks for having me.